Hey everyone, this is Erica Carbajal with Becker's Hospital Review, and thank you all so much to our listeners tuning into another episode of the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. In today's conversation, we're joined by Gary Salmon, CEO of Black Talent Security, and Dan Prestigard, CTO of Specialty Dental Brands. Dan and Gary, thank you both so much for taking the time to be here today. Thanks for having You're us. You're welcome. Thanks. So super hot topic right now, obviously, with, with all of the events we're seeing around cybersecurity. So how should DSOs really be thinking about cybersecurity, particularly with the rise of all the attacks we've seen within the industry over the past year? Yeah, I think the best way to look at it is through the lens of risk. Um, and I typically break it down into three primary categories. You have compliance, legal, and operational and we know in the healthcare space, there is a tremendous amount of uh, protected health information, both on these networks as well as in the cloud. So in almost all ransomware cases that we deal with and what the industry sees is a theft of patient data. So one of the modus operandi is that the threat actors, you know, aka the hackers, do is they not only encrypt the network with ransomware, which causes a whole bunch of operational issues, which we'll talk about, but they have a goal of trying to steal as much data as possible. And that includes patient data. And when they steal the patient data, that then triggers compliance issues around HIPAA. So the threat actors know that when they walk away with some or all of your patient data, there's an extremely high likelihood that you're going to, in fact, pay the ransom demand because you do not want that patient data uh, released to the public. Um, and they also understand that you're going to have some compliance issues to deal with. So you could have state regulatory issues uh, related to laws within the states that these patients reside or the practice or organization operates. And then obviously you have HIPAA uh, issues at the federal level. Um, from the legal perspective, there's always the risk of future class action lawsuits uh, levied by the patients that were impacted by the breach. So that's something to consider. And a lot of DSOs don't realize that that is now a thing. And then one of the biggest impacts is really operational. Um, regardless of backups, cloud technology, you know, and some other things that DSOs have in place, what we typically see you know, regardless of size of the DSO, uh, a DSO typically experiences a two to five week outage of their operations, mostly due to the fact that a uh, majority of ransomware strains actually damage the operating systems of the computers. Um, and the practice can't use the computers to either run their practice management software locally on their own server or connect to cloud technology. Um, and it causes a huge burden on the organization. And if you do just some of, you know, some back of them napkin math and do a quick calculation and understand, you know, what you're producing on a daily basis and multi multiply that by 10 to 50 days, your operational and financial impact is going to be significant. Um, I've never really seen a situation where uh, a practice has, has been down for less than a couple of days. There have been some, you know, rare cases where, a small practice can go out and grab some laptops, bring them in and connect to cloud technology if the cloud hasn't been impacted. But our experience is most DSOs are down for an extended period of time. So, I mean, those are three primary categories that, you know, DSOs have to 
you know, think about related to uh, cybersecurity and the impact of a ransomware attack or um, data theft. Yeah, I, I agree uh, completely with what Gary said there. Uh, thinking about cybersecurity in terms of risk is the right way to go. And in this case, if you think of it in those terms, what goes wrong? What happens if it goes wrong? And then for security, for compliance, for all of these things, it can be existential, right? This is existential risk. You might not be around long if this happens to you. Um, and so it really does need to be taken seriously. Oh, yeah. Thank you both for touching on those three key areas. So it really sounds like you can create challenges across the board. And Dan, as you mentioned, depending on you know what sort of attack happens can really be an existential challenge or turn into an existential problem. And Gary, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the the class actions lawsuit component. I think it's something that we sometimes, especially in the dental space, might not hear as much about in terms of thinking about the risks. Next, can you also speak to the value of having a third party assessment and continuous monitoring within your digital environment? This is Dan. I mean, I, I think that it's a requirement these days. You need to have it be constantly monitored, constantly updated. The I can tell you that the hackers and the people that are trying to get into your data and get into your information uh, are not taking time off. And so they're constantly trying to scan. I mean, we see in the, in the reports all the time that the environment's constantly being scanned and people are looking for holes. And with AI being what it is today, it's only going to get worse where you start to get these vectors, these approaches into the system are just going to keep getting smarter um, and they're going to keep getting more targeted. They're going to know more about you and, and what you're doing and how you behave. Um, so this is only going to get worse. And so it really is a, a constant discipline that needs to be in place, constant scanning, constant uh, third-party assessment and making sure that you're up to date in all things with the the basics first, but then the advanced things as well, and make sure that you're doing things also like educating your your population, um, doing things like ethical hacking and, and phishing. Yeah, absolutely. So really having the mindset for DSOs of really viewing this, having the position that this is a constant a constant risk. Getting in a little bit deeper, can you speak to how a cybersecurity partner can actually work with current IT resources? So one of the things that we see in many DSOs, and, and almost regardless of size, you know, whether you're, you're five locations or 500, is the IT department typically is responsible for keeping the network up and running, right? Making sure the servers are functioning properly, make sure they have access to the internet so they can access their cloud technology and, and communications, et cetera. And typically what we don't see is much of a proactive cybersecurity approach, meaning they're, they're typically running around, putting out fires, onboarding new acquisitions, upgrading hardware, keeping software up to date, et cetera. And, and, and Dan kind of mentioned this previously, but the hackers are constantly attacking the network and, and looking for these holes and vulnerabilities. And typically what we see in DSOs of all sizes, they don't have the tools, the technology, the resources to be able to do those types of tests, right? Most DSOs have defensive measures in place, right? You're talking, you know, antivirus software, some basic patching, et cetera. 
but there's no technology in place that actively monitors the network for security holes, right? Vulnerabilities and vulnerabilities are kind of those unlocked doors and windows that a hacker is going to scan for, find and, and break into the network. Um, and because they lack these tools, there's not a lot of visibility or clarity into where they actually have security risks. So I think a good partnership with the DSO's internal or external IT resources revolves around using tools and human intellect to identify risk, right, through vulnerabilities in firewalls, vulnerabilities in, in endpoints, meaning computers like laptops, servers, workstations, providing, as Dan alluded to, training, right? Cybersecurity awareness training is a really, really key component. And, you know, leveraging all of this technology to help the DSO paint a clear picture of security risk. And, you know, cyber companies don't replace IT resources. That's a big thing. We have to have solid internal and or external IT resources. So when a cyber company comes in and identifies where there's risk, that data can be provided back to the IT resources so they can, in fact, address, you know, where we call remediate the risk. So it's a healthy relationship between what I like to say, all three parties, you know, the cyber company like Black Talon, the DSO and the IT resources, whether they're internal or external, and everyone's basically fighting the same battle. Like, how do we make sure that our network is secure and we're going to minimize the chances of an intrusion? You know, and a lot of uh, a lot of folks talk about the uh, the trust but verify concept or who's watching the watcher concept, and I, th I think this is really what you know a third party cyber assessment is about. Yeah, I I agree with um, what Gary's saying there, and um, I, I will say that um, I think of so Jules Vergara is the guy on Gary's team that that um, we work with every single day. I mean, every single day. And we bring in him, and uh, he works with our, with our guy assigned. His name is Matt Harris and John Hust also. Um, and they work, again, every single day to get together. Um, the big thing to me about our, a cybersecurity partner, like Black Talent is for us and my staff, the big thing for me is making sure that we're all on the same page and there's open communication. I expect, you know, Jules and Matt to be tied at the hip and them to be, um, you know, Jules has a very active voice. Black Talent's got a very active voice of what the priorities are um, and helping us to say, you know, I'm, I'm very big on having an organized approach for um, what it is that our risks are, where the big ones are and, and uh, the ones that need to get addressed right away and, and sort of where the ones are that we can, you know, put mitigating uh, factors in place or, or ensure against the, the different issues or, you know, avoid um, the different risks that are out there um, and have different, you know, different ways of addressing the risks. Um, but I think that the main answer for me of, you know, how does a cybersecurity partner work with current IT resources is every single day and in an organized way with uh, intentional results, uh, looking for things to, you know, I, we follow the CIS framework um, for, you know, scoring our environment and making sure that we're we're set up in a way that's uh, can be benchmarked, um, but then that way you can also measure that you're making progress against the standard. And so that, to me, is the way to do it with uh, with a cybersecurity partner and and the current IT resources. It's just making sure that they're in lockstep and that there's a plan and that they're that you're planning the work, working plan, and executing and making things better every single day. 
Yeah, I think you both really underscored how really just at a point where the approach can no longer just be reactive or responding to something once you see it, but really getting to that place where it's much more proactive and having each player, you know, everyone's, as you said, Gary, fighting the same battle. So the cyber security, the DSO, the IT resources, how do we get to a place where uh, they're all working cohesively to, to form that more proactive approach? Dan, you started to touch on the partnership already, but Gary or Dan, can you can you speak a bit more to how the partnership between specialty dental brands and Black Talon has really changed over time? I'm going to defer to Gary first because uh, he's been here longer than I have and can probably see how it's changed even in the last six months. Right. Right. Look, I think it's all about building a foundation, right? We started with specialty dental brands four years ago when they actually only had about 10 locations. And Dan, you're, I think you're up to just shy of what, 300, somewhere around there. 249. Um, yep. 249. Okay. So we'll call it 250. Um, so I think one of the most important things is building this strong foundation. What I see in the DSO space is often due to the rapid growth of DSOs, their technology, um, their infrastructure is often playing catch up to the acquisition game, right? So all of a sudden, you know, they can kind of band-aid everything together when they're 10 or 15 locations. Then all of a sudden they get to 20 or 30 and they're like, oh, the wheels are starting to fall off. This isn't working and that's not working. And they're literally watching like their technology crumble uh, in front of them because they didn't have a plan in place. The exact same thing applies uh, not only to technology, but also to security. What we often see is, you know, DSOs uh, have limited security in place, typically antivirus and some firewalls. And even for a single location, that's not great. But as they start growing, the risk magnifies. You know, if you have three or four locations and you get hit with ransomware, that's rough right? But all of a sudden, you're now at 75 or 100 locations and 100 locations get hit with ransomware. The the, the financial and um, compliance risk is extremely high. And if you don't have the proper security framework in place to able for you to be able to grow with your organization, you're ultimately going to struggle and or fail. Um, so I think the the biggest thing that DSOs need to do is as they you know, spin up and as they as they grow, they really need to have a, a structured security program in place that is scalable for their organization and manageable. And unfortunately, in the DSO space, I see that being a struggle for many of them. Um, and if they, you know, plan accordingly or had planned accordingly, the struggles would have been, you know, significantly reduced. So I think it's like anything else. If you're going to if you're going to build a building, build a strong, you know, foundation with four walls, not a foundation with one wall and hoping your building doesn't collapse. And, you know, I think specialty has done a great job at, you know, being able to, to scale from a technology and a security perspective. Just to layer in here for a second, I, I do think that too often places have a tools approach to security. Like it's, you know, antivirus tools, or it's vulnerability scan tools, or it's, patching tools, the tools-based approach. And um, the truth is policies and procedures are just as important. The human factor is hugely important. The training, the 
communication. There's so much that goes into security and compliance program that you really do need to be intentional. And, you know, again, I, I emphasize the frameworks that are out there because you can benchmark yourself and you can start to see whether it's NIST framework or CIS, you can start to adopt those things. And once you do that, then you can look very much into where you are relative to the rest of the world. And you can look and see, you know, how far behind you are or how far ahead you are. And that can help you get investment from your board that can get investment from, you know, from your leadership team to make sure that you're catching up and going in the right place to address what, again, could be an existential risk, right? So you really need to make sure that you got the right level of focus on this thing. Um, and so for me, it's it's very much having there be an intentional approach to it with a framework in place where you can shake hands and say, look, these are the biggest areas we need to address and let's get after them. Um, and I think we're doing that now. And, you know, we're, we're partnering up very closely with, with Gary and the uh, Black Talent team. Gary, you started to mention a bit about really the value of cybersecurity partnerships, particularly as a DSO may start to grow and why it becomes more and more important um, as the risk you know, magnifies with more and more locations. So Dan, can you expand on that and touch on some of the biggest wins you've seen with working with a cyber partner that really understands DSOs specifically? Well, I mean, I think the the experience with DSOs helps to pace the change, you know, because, you know, Gary and his team understand that you can't, you, you know, you can't stop business, right? You need to make sure that we can still see patients. We're not interrupting things. Um, and, you know, there's there's behaviors that a practice might have, whether it's like, you know, shared IDs that they've, they've done in the past that you have to get them out of that, right? Or they don't like multi-factor because it, slows them down. And so you have to do a education along with it. Um, having a partner that understands the DSOs and what, what that productivity looks like and what sort of the bad behavior can be and the reasons behind it can help to then educate them into you know, the right place and the right behaviors uh, and the right patterns. Um, and so that, that's really the, the value of having a partner that understands DSOs is that they can help pace it appropriately and they can also understand that like, so some of these practice management systems, you know, these practice management systems have, especially, you know, in dentistry, there's large images. So a lot of them have to be local, right? Um, and that local dynamic is, is different than a lot of the, some of the different cloud provi providing, provided solutions. Um, so you've got a different dynamic there too, where you have to make sure that your tools are, operate appropriately in the environment that you're in. And so um, security providers that understand uh, the dental ecosystem can really bring value in that way. And so that's that's some of what we're 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 looking for and and some of the things that you need to know about in in the DSO space. Let me touch on just the visibility component. So without clear visibility into cyber risks, as we've mentioned, how are executive teams making risk-based decisions? So I think I think one of the biggest challenges is I think they aren't, right? When when I talk to executive CEOs, COOs, sometimes even the CFOs of these organizations, and I ask a simple question, which is, do you understand where you have risk from a cyber perspective? Most of the time I can't get an answer, right? They're like, oh, I've I have an IT team. 
that addresses that. But we know, unfortunately, when these cyber events occur, it all rolls up to the top, right? The CEO, the C-suite, the board, they're going to have to answer as to why they didn't address cyber risk accordingly. And I think the most simple, simplistic answer is they didn't know. They didn't know what questions to ask, right? They're relying on information that's uh, fed to them. And I've been in the corporate world for a long time. Dan, you've been there too. And we know um, that often as information is passed from managers to directors to VPs to the C-suite, that message is often diluted, right? Because no one wants to really you know, hear it at the at the top, um, or they don't want their their bosses to hear it at the top, I should say. And and sometimes the message is not communicated properly because people fear for their job, et cetera. Um, so one of the things that I think all executive teams need to do is ask hard questions, right? And and get clear uh, and, and transparent answers as to where they do have cyber risk. And I think unfortunately, and Dan nailed this, is there are so many tool sets out there right now that often teams are just relying on tools. And because these data sets being provided by these tools are so large, it's very difficult to take all of that data, consolidate it, and then you know use it to present risk back to an executive team. So typically the response that gets to the executive team is something like, oh, we have a covered, you know, we have AI-based antivirus software. We've got great firewalls. You know, you guys don't need to worry about this. And and if the executive team doesn't actually, you know, understand security at at you know, not in a tech from a technical perspective, but more of an operational perspective, they don't know what to ask. You know, they don't know how to dig into that type of answer, and they're just going to, you know, hope, right? I, I call it like a hope and a prayer that you know everything is being done properly. But I know we provide specialty, uh, specialty dental brands with clear transparency into their risk. You know, they, they leverage our platform called Eagle Eye, and then they can go into Eagle Eye and understand overall for their organization what their risk is. They can drill down into each individual physical office location and understand where the risk is there. And they can actually drill down into the actual machine and understand is this computer presenting a risk to our organization? And then most importantly, you know, they can action on it from a budgetary perspective, you know, from a compliance regulatory, and and then even, you know, Dan mentioned it before is patching, right? How do we look at these vulnerabilities and then fix them? Well, usually it's through through identity, uh, identifying the risk and then applying patches and other technology to eliminate that risk. It's kind of like knowing your front door to your office is wide open and then closing it versus finding out the hard way, which is, hey, your front door is open and your office is burglarized, but that's after the fact, right? You you want to have proactive uh, proactive approach and identify the risk and address it you know, before it becomes a problem. But Dan, I know you... Um, you and your team, you know, take a lot of time and and analyze the the data that we're provided to you. So I don't know if you want to take a, a shot at it from from your perspective. Yeah, yeah I, I really like so Eagle Eye. You're a hundred percent. I agree with what Gary just said there. Right uh, from the fact that a lot of executives don't necessarily approach things from a risk perspective, nor do they know like what the strategies are for addressing risk. Right, and so. The very first thing is we have this tool Eagle Eye right from from Black Talon that that shows you the risks that are out there and then puts a category around it or, or severity around it, um, which then sort of drives draws your eye towards 
which ones do I address first, right? So order of precedence of what you want to address. And then, you know, you can have it in groups too by practice and, and attack it in that way. But then there's the actual addressing of that articulated risk. So Eagle Eye helps because it articulates a risk and then it, and it categorizes it. So that's awesome. But then when you look at it, you know, you can either resolve it, mitigate it, insure against it, avoid it, or accept it. And the accept it is something you can do in the tool so you don't have to repeat yourself again and again. Um, but then you've got to look for other ways, like the really big ones you want to resolve. You want to patch them or you want to, you know, get it, get that device out of your environment or you want to do something so it's no longer there, as opposed to like a mitigate where you might put it into, into a VPN, right? So that it's still there and I have it, but, you know, it's it's... I've got controls in place where it's it's not going to hurt me um, as opposed to, you know, uh, avoiding it or, or accepting a risk. Right. So there's there's a lot of strategies that are out there for these risks. And I think ha the very first step, though, is identifying it and categorizing it. And that's that's what Eagle Eye helps us to do. Um, and the other tools help us to do. And then it's really big on having that relationship in place where you're in a team in place that understands the things that need to be done based on the course of action that you've chosen. Um, and so that that's the big thing for me on on a risk based uh, management system, and and that's what we're we're really trying to put in place here. Yeah, it was interesting to hear just around the lack of awareness or knowledge at the executive level, uh, and on the challenges that that can create, as well as just how the platform really helps to not just show you where the risks are, but then sort of can give some action items in terms of prioritizing what to address first. Can you speak to now how actually having the data to back up specialties security posture trends can change the conversations within the broader leadership team and board, Dan? The very first thing that having the data that articulated risk and categorized, the very first thing it helps you do is say, look, I mean, here's, here's the funding I need, right? Um, so if you have you know, if you have a, a, an environment that didn't have, I'll just use a very simple example, right? That doesn't have a firewall, right? And you go in there and you say, all right, well, here's all the risks that are identified um, in order to, uh, in order to uh, mitigate the fact that I've got, you know, unpatched PCs, or I'm just, you know, throwing it out there as, a, as something that's a possible example, unpatched PCs, in order for me to do that, I, I really want to have them on a isolated VPN. Well, um, let me do that. I need a, I need a firewall to be put in place in order to do that and get the, you know, get the structure set up right. Um, and if I don't have that, I, I need to invest in it. So here's the, here are the dollars I need. And so having that organized approach with the risks articulated, first and foremost, helps you articulate when you're, when you need funding to get the different things in place to address what's out there. Um, in the same way, if I need to replace PCs, if I need to replace servers, if I need to get some sort of software package in place, um, you know, all of those things. If you can talk about your security posture related to a, you know, a framework and also benchmark yourself against things, um, that can help you with your priorities and it can help you get funding and it can help you spur action with your team too. I mean, if you see a series of things that are red and you're, you know, you're the head of infrastructure and you have these things kind of hitting you in the face every single day. Um, those are the, those are the things you're going to first address. And so that's, that's really how I like to approach it of seeing these things out here and, and get the right, 
the right pieces in place to get them addressed. Dan and Gary, before we wrap up, can we share a piece of advice that you would share to other growth-minded DSOs today? The very first thing I would say is security has to come first, right? It has to be the very, it's a primary thing that's part of the security and compliance is really the foundation on which everything else is, has to go on top. I mean, you can't, you know, you want to get good processes in place. You want to get, I, I use the serve scale innovate structure where you, you want to be able to, your IT to serve um, your business and then you want it to be able to scale so you can grow and then you want to be able to innovate and, you know, whether that's using AI or using your data, you want to do those things. But in order to do all of that, you need it on a foundation of good security and compliance. And so it really ought to be the very first thing. And it has to be part of the fabric of what of what you're doing every single day. And so the piece of advice I would give to other growth minded DSOs is do that first and make sure it's part of everything you do and part of your fabric. Yeah, well said, Dan. Look, I think... One of, one of the best pieces of advice I can give a DSO or a, a, any large group is they have to have a cybersecurity plan. And what I've seen over the years is the cybersecurity plan typically revolves around a firewall and antivirus. And guess what? Every DSO that gets hit right, and, and get taken down for weeks, they have firewalls. They have antivirus software. It's just not a good overall strategy to protect yourselves from these more advanced threats. Are they required? Of course, you have to have a firewall, you have to have good antivirus software, but there's so many more elements to a cybersecurity program than just like Dan said at the beginning, than just tools. And I feel like in the cyber world right now, we're relying so much on tools and it's failing. Right. So organizations invest in in some pretty good tools sometimes. And the hackers have absolutely, absolutely figured out ways to bypass these tools. And then all of a sudden the DSO turns around and is like, whoa, how, how do we have 30 offices down with ransomware right now? We, we just bought this new tool. And often it starts at, you know, kind of the the sales level, right? The, a vendor getting in front of the DSO and saying, hey, this is AI, it blocks everything, don't worry about it, put this on your network and you have nothing to fear. And that's that's the failure point. So have a plan, it has to be multifaceted. Um, it has to incorporate defensive and offensive measures, vulnerability scanning, penetration testing, cyber training, AI-based, what's called endpoint detection and response or extended detection and response but it all has to be backed up with credentialed security engineers that that understand the industry, understand cyber risk, deal with these, you know, cyber events on an ongoing basis like ransomware, data theft, email intrusions and then make strong recommendations back to the DSO in terms of, you know, a strategy both based on humans and technology so you can defend against these attacks. You know, these, these ransomware events that are occurring right now, you don't know how bad it actually is until you go through one yourself. And it brings your organization to its knees, right? To, to the point where you, you know, especially if it's systemic, not localized, you can't function for weeks. And that's when the executive teams realize, wow, right? Maybe we should have asked more detailed questions or had more knowledge on, on this stuff and, and implemented the trust but verify concept. So... Have a plan, 
make sure it's comprehensive, you know, tap into organizations like ours that understand the cyber world and, 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 and leverage us to help, you know, organizations like yourself stay secure. Yeah, sounds like it's really critical moving forward for DSOs and leaders to really do away with that tool, tool as cybersecurity mindset and really lean more into the cybersecurity strategy plan, plan mindset to be successful in the future and fend off uh, some of these types of attacks. Gary and Dan, thank you both so much for popping on today to discuss this. We also want to thank our podcast sponsor, Black Talent Security. And listeners, you can access more podcast episodes from Beckers by visiting the podcast page on our website, beckerspodcasts.com. Thank you all so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us.